The purpose of this program is not to prescribe a treatment to individuals. Listeners should consult their health care practitioner before attempting any treatment. Good morning and welcome to Health Watch. I'm Dr. David Naiman, your host. Every day, our bodies encounter countless toxins that hide in seemingly harmless products from cosmetics and toothpaste to soap and food. In their best-selling book, Slow Death by Rubber Duck, environmental activists Bruce Lurie and Rick Smith explored the way we can minimize our exposure to these harmful chemicals. But what do we do about the toxins we can't avoid, and how do we get them out of us once they've gotten in? These are the questions that they set out to answer in their latest book, Toxin Talks Out. Today's guest, co-author Bruce Lurie, is here today on HealthWatch to talk about what they discovered. Welcome to HealthWatch, Bruce Lurie. Thank you very much. Well, why don't you uh, orient our listeners a little bit to the origin of, of this project that you and Rick Smith did? Sure. Uh, about five years ago, Rick and I wrote a book called Slow Death by Rubber Duck. And in that book, we did a bunch of experiments on ourselves to illustrate how easily toxic chemicals in everyday consumer products end up getting into our bodies. And then we talked about the kinds of harm that those chemicals cause. You know, there are, many of them are endocrine-disrupting chemicals. They're cancer-causing chemicals. They lead to uh, reproductive problems, thyroid problems. And so we really talked a lot about you know, the problems with these chemicals, how poorly regulated they are today. And um, uh, and then as we were, the, the, our book ended up doing very well around the world. And as Rick and I were traveling around the world, people would always ask us, uh, so there's all these chemicals everywhere and, and you've shown that they get into your body. What do you do to get the chemicals out of your body? And so, you know, we gave all that, that a lot of thought and realized that that was probably worth a book. And then that's what our new book, Talks In, Talks Out, is all about. So how, how good is the scientific evidence that links exposure to synthetic chemicals to human disease? Is that something well-established? Yeah, I think today it is well-established. Um, whether it's well-accepted is another question. Um, it takes quite a while, I think, for um, large institutions and large, you, you know, the medical community at large, um, and certainly, um, you know, maybe more of the conventional um, practitioners to uh, buy into some of the new science. Um, the science I- itself is more complicated. We're talking about chemicals that have very subtle effects on the on our hormone system. We're talking about chemicals that may not um, actually uh, display effects for many years, uh, sometimes even a generation. So it's, it's difficult doing the kinds of testing uh, on these chemicals. And I think for some people, um, you know, they're, they're used to just very simplistic tests where a toxic chemical causes harm um, and you can see that harm immediately. And that's not what we're talking about with these chemicals. And how much are you focusing on, in terms of a solution, the avoidance of the chemicals in the first place versus trying to get them out once you've been exposed to them? You know, I would say more than anything, the book for us has confirmed the importance of avoidance. I mean, avoidance is absolutely number one. And uh, and the good news is there are now many, many products on the marketplace. There's increasingly widely available and less expensive organic food. For example, um, if you if you if you pay attention to what you're buying, whether it's looking at personal care products that are phthalate-free and paraben-free, 
um, whether you're shopping in stores that that advertise that they they don't have flame retardants in their products. I mean, there's a, there's a there are many many more options than even just five years ago. And what what really amazed Rick and I, since we wrote um, uh, Slow Death by Rubber Duck, was the what kind of a shift not only um, just in terms of consumers and public awareness, but major corporations like Johnson and Johnson and, and Procter and Gamble and Avon, you know, Walmart, all making big announcements about their intent to remove certain chemicals from their product lines. Well, there was uh, a lot of hope in Toxin Talks Out in terms of looking at other uh, DDT-led dioxins and the progress that have been made over the last several decades. It seems like there's been quite a lot of progress as soon as a lot of these chemicals come to to light uh, around their health concerns. Yeah, and I think from my perspective, having worked on these things for 25 years, I think we we saw a flurry of activity when the really, really toxic stuff, the things that you mentioned like DDT, which, you know, I mean, kills people rapidly or uh, PCBs, lead, those things. Um, you know, we had kind of a heyday maybe through the 70s uh, where, you know, we, we, we started to see the, the direct effects of those. And then things kind of tapered off. And, and for a lot of years, um, particularly, you know, the Canadian government and the, and the American government did almost nothing to regulate toxic chemicals. And then all these chemicals just started increasing in use and getting in all these products where they shouldn't be like in you know kids shampoos and soaps and all you know all sorts of products that uh, we're exposing ourselves and our kids to every day and then what what i think we've seen is is now a combination of social media more engaged uh, scientists and a public that is much more aware of these things and then so really just in the last i would say in the last 18 months we've seen uh, tremendous uh, movement, um, both in corporations and, you know, for example, the U.S. FDA a few months ago coming out with their statement on triclosan, the antibacterial chemical. You know, when Rick and I first wrote about triclosan and slow death by rubber duck, you know, first of all, no one had heard of it. And then, you know, regulatory bodies were being defensive and manufacturers were being defensive. And now I'm, I'm pretty sure we're going to see the end of triclosan uh, in the next couple of years. So let's talk a little bit more about uh, eating organic as one way to avoid exposure. Um, we, pesticides are being linked to all sorts of things, whether it's uh, cancer, fertility issues, asthma, obesity. And you, you mentioned studies that show that eating organic lowers one's risk of pesticide exposure by up to 80-fold, which seems pretty remarkable. You, you end up doing a study in Toxin Toxout uh, looking at uh, transitioning over to organic foods. Can you talk a little bit about it? Sure, yeah. So w- one way that we try to tell the stories in the book is to, you know, give, like, like we either experiment with ourselves or, you know, our, our new innovation is experimenting on other people. And, uh, and, you know, we try to make the science real by doing these experiments. So we, we did one on pesticides where we, we got volunteer kids who volunteered who had never eaten organic food in their lives and uh and and what what we asked them is if they would eat more organic food um, for a period of time and so we devised an experiment where for uh there were nine kids over 12 days and the first 4 days they ate their regular diet no organic food at all the next 4 days they switched to an all organic diet and the following four days, they switched back to their regular um, non-organic diet. And in the period, uh, like within, 
like within 12 hours of switching to the organic diet, uh, their pesticide levels in their bodies, measured, measuring the uh, pesticide residues uh, in their bodies, had dropped by, uh, uh, by two-thirds. And then when they switched back to their non-organic diet, uh, again, that shot up. Um, uh, the, the pesticide levels in their bodies uh, shot up, uh, you know, eightfold. So we saw this just incredible uh, rapid drop when they were eating organic food and then increase when they switched back to the non-organic diet. In case you just tuned in, we're talking to Bruce Lurie, the co-author of Toxin Talks Out, Getting Harmful Chemicals Out of Our Bodies and Our World. Let, let's talk a little bit about personal uh, care products. Uh, what, what are some of the chemicals that people should be avoiding in, in soaps and creams and deodorants and, and, and yeah, those sorts of things? Yeah, there's three that we've focused on. One we focused on in the first book, the one I just mentioned, triclosan, which is the antibacterial uh, chemical that is added to products that actually say antibacterial. So if it says antibacterial soap or antibacterial, uh, you know, dish soap, uh, deodorants, things like that. Um, uh, so you want to, avoid, and it's always labeled. So you want to avoid triclosan. Um, in in the new book, we focus on parabens and phthalates, and uh, those are found uh, commonly in in almost all personal care products. Phthalates is sort of a strange chemical that uh, enhances the scent. So products that are, are heavily scented or um, you know, have a lot of fragrance will typically have more phthalates. And then parabens is an additive that's put in to uh, preserve, uh, like add, uh, increase the shelf life of these products. And um, phthalates are linked to prostate cancer, parabens are linked to breast cancer, uh, and more and more we're finding that there are companies that will label the product uh, phthalate-free and paraben-free. Um, lots of lots of those products are now available, and um, and then companies like Johnson and Johnson have announced that they'll be removing those chemicals from their products, uh, uh, their entire product line, uh, which is which is pretty amazing news, uh, I think, for our, for consumers. And what was the experiment that you did with regarding uh, uh, these sorts of products? Yeah, um, we did one that was uh, sort of similar to to the organic food experiment. In this one, we had uh, a makeup artist uh, uh, based in New York who uh, typically only used uh, healthy, chemical-free makeup products. And she had uh, actually spent years just trying to find products that were high-quality, um, that performed the same as the product, you know, the, the, the products that contain more of these chemicals. Um, I think admittedly there, there, there was a period of time where a lot of the alternative products didn't have the same, you know, kind of performance from, uh, in terms of makeup, uh, I'm told. Um, and uh, so, uh, so we designed an experiment where um, she uh, started, uh, you know, went from using the uh the the regular chemicals or the regular uh, cosmetics with lots of chemicals and then and then a washout day where she didn't use anything and then um uh and then switched back to um using the clean chemicals and we saw again just a dramatic decline in the chemical levels when she was using the clean chemicals and then a dramatic increase in uh chemicals like um like phthalates when she switched 
to the uh, the chemical um, additive, the, the 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 cosmetics with chemical additives. Well, it's interesting in, in reading the book to learn that there's really not a lot of good regulation of personal care products that they don't have to include everything on the labels, that they have the regulatory agencies don't have any authority over recalling products. How, what, is, what is going on in that arena? Is there any call for more control and more transparency? Yeah, definitely. Uh, you know, if you look at, for example, pharmaceuticals, you know, they're very heavily tested, heavily regulated, um, well-labeled. Uh, uh, and then as you move through to personal care products, there's kind of a, a little bit of labeling, a little bit more transparency. And then once you get into cosmetics, it's just a nightmare. There's, you know, very little labeling, very little regulation of what goes into cosmetics. And, and often companies hide behind this notion of... Um, kind of proprietary chemical formulation. So if they have a particular scent, say in a perfume, they'll say, well, that's a proprietary scent, and we can't tell you what all the chemicals are that go into it because that's our secret ingredients. And um, so it's a big, big problem in the cosmetics and personal care products uh, where the labeling really is very poor. And and what sort of drives me crazy is the... the um, these companies that say, you know, well, we don't need to be regulated. We just need consumers to be informed, and let's let consumers make informed choices. And at the same time they're saying that, they're actually lobbying against labeling. They're lobbying against transparency. So it's impossible for consumers to make informed choices. So it's got to be one or the other. Either they get regulated or they, they accept uh, transparency and better labeling so people can actually make informed choices. Well, let's take a caller. Uh, Joe, you're on the air with Bruce Laurie, the author of Toxin Talks Out. Good morning. Two quick questions. Uh, back in January of 2014 this year, Amy Goodman on Democracy Now! did an interview with a lady from uh, Mother Jones Magazine. I didn't hear the whole interview, and I don't have a subscription to the magazine. I don't have Internet, so I don't know what exactly all what was said. But one of the things that she said, I heard her briefly say, is that the replacements for phthalates and bisphenol A may actually even be worse than the original product. Number one, that's my first question. Number two, uh, I've noticed uh, lately, and I've purchased some of these and maybe uh, and wrongfully purchased them, but in, when you go into a department store and you buy some socks, just regular everyday work socks or athletic socks, they'll say antibacterial. Could they have triclosan in them or something else just equally as bad? And how long does it take that stuff to wash out of them? And if it, um, maybe it would be better off uh, just disposing of those socks or something that if they're, if that stuff doesn't wash out. Because you're wearing these uh, socks in a, you know, like you say, in a work boot where you're perspiring all day. And that, if there is something in there, is it transferable through your skin into your body? Thanks, Joe, uh, for the uh, questions. We'll, we'll take your answers off the air, but thank you. Um, Bruce, do you have some thoughts on either of those? Yeah, for sure. Um, I mean, just quickly, you definitely uh, many sportswear products, you know, sandals and, and things like work socks that say antibacterial, there's a, there's a very good chance that they do contain triclosan. Um, I would avoid purchasing those products that say antibacterial. And it's, it's also an example where the chances, chances are they're not actually going to disclose what chemical is in it, so you really don't know. Um, and in terms of phthalates and bisphenol A, phthalates, I'm not so sure about the replacements, but 
you know, BPA, it is an issue. They're replacing it often with a, a, a related chemical called BPS. And, um, you know, there isn't a lot of safety testing on BPS. And um, there is, uh, you know, the possibility that, that it's no, 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 no more safe than BPA. So those are good questions. Thanks. And, and I would think with the lack of regulation and maybe the lack of emphasis on safety testing that some of these companies could do a never-ending shell game of re- just replacing with a less regulated, less known about potential toxin. Yeah, that's exactly the risk. That's right. Yeah. Let's take another caller. Uh, Rick, you're on the air with Bruce Laurie. Bruce, hello. Bruce, um, since uh, many of us already have lots of toxins in us, I'm wondering about the efficacy of what I've been reading about infrared saunas. Can you comment on that? Yeah, we'll, sure. We'll take your answer off the air. Thanks for the call, Rick. And let's, let's open up to the larger question of both speaking about saunas, but also just you do talk about and talks and talks out about detox programs and, and which ones have the most science behind them. So maybe you could talk about the saunas in, in relationship to that larger question. Yes, certainly. Uh, in fact, what, what, uh, what, what I did in, in Talks and Talks Out was review um, many different methods for detoxifying. And, um, and it's, I mean, ironically, the whole world of detox is as poorly regulated <laughs> and lacking in transparency as the sort of toxic world. So, um, so really when it, what it comes down to is uh, looking at those, you know, for us it was really looking at uh, how do you shift your lifestyle so that you are doing what turns out to be a lot of the basic things that anyone is going to tell you to be healthy, which uh, includes eating uh, less meat, eating more vegetables, uh, drinking lots of water, exercising, all of those things enhance your body's natural detox mechanism. So just basic things like water flushing chemicals out, fiber running through your body, uh, reducing the intake of animal fats because that's where many of the, the chemicals are stored. And then when it comes to more direct things like um, uh, one example, ionic foot baths, uh, don't, there's no evidence at all that they do anything to detox you, whereas uh, saunas are, are now increasingly being used. And the test that I did showed that you actually have chemicals like BPA that come out in your sweat. And, um, and uh, more and more we're finding that... Uh, uh, physicians that are doing detox therapy are relying on saunas uh, uh, to help people, and and typically it is the the infra- infrared sauna that's used, and that's because it it's um, it doesn't heat up as much as uh, a, a traditional sauna, and so it's it's less um, uh, sort of puts less stress on your body. And what about um, the science or lack thereof around chelation? So uh, people are trying to pull heavy metals out of their tissue and, and get, get them out of their bodies. Yeah, chelation has very good science behind it. And um, I actually did a, did a chelation experiment uh, on myself as well. And, and, you know, just in the one day of undergoing chelation, saw anywhere from, I think, you know, three to about 15 times the levels of heavy metals coming out of my body. But that's, that's something that uh, should only be done by somebody who is diagnosed with heavy metal toxicity. It's not... It's not an, an everyday treatment because it is quite invasive, particularly the, the intravenous chelation, which is the most effective form of chelation. Um, but if you are, if if you have someone measure your your uh, particularly your mercury levels and find that you know you're in um, very high high range of 
uh, of mercury levels, then chelation uh, definitely will uh, draw the mercury out of your body effectively. Well, one other area that you you touch on also is genetically modified foods, and and that you know the question around labeling and around transparency and consumer choice and and risk is certainly something that is one of the aspects around the debate around genetically modified foods. But even if you didn't have a concern about foods being genetically modified, there is some concern around the amount of pesticides that get used on them. Yeah, exactly. So there's, I think there's a whole bunch of issues with, uh, with uh, genetically modified foods, you know, not the least of which is, you know, corporations owning patents. And, you know, in Canada there was a famous case where... Uh, a seed blew onto a farmer's field and um, and grew, and Monsanto sued the farmer because he didn't have the right to plant that seed, even though he didn't plant it. And sadly, Monsanto won. So, I mean, those kinds of things, you know, kind of freak me out a lot. <laughs> um, and in terms of pesticides, then you've got these plants that are grown uh, specifically to respond to pesticides. So, what it does is it ties the farmer when he buys a particular seed to a very specific pesticide that's where the seed and, you know, the, the genetic seed and the pesticide are both manufactured by the same company. So it creates this kind of bond between the, the, the plant and the pesticide. Well, another area similar to trying to find ways not to expose ourselves to the chemicals in the first place is uh, around buying the right thing so that we don't end up discarding things that have toxins in them back into landfills and into the environment. And you talk about the green economy and what happens to our Teflon pans, for instance. Yeah, and it was, you know, one of the chapters in, in, in our first book was on Teflon. And uh, I was just really curious to know, like, well, what happens, right? You've got this, the, the chemicals that go into manufacturing Teflon are... Um, uh, uh, are very harmful, and you know, as anyone knows, just going into stores these days, there's like millions and millions of Teflon pans all over the place, and you know, as it turns out, nothing. There's like there's no controls, no restrictions. Uh, you know, landfill companies and municipalities don't. They're not required to do anything. So these things just end up either going into incinerators, which is really bad because then they're producing um, highly toxic fumes from the incinerators, or they're going into landfill where it breaks down over time and ends up getting into our water system. And this is, and the Teflon chemicals in particular are, are very, very persistent, persistent chemicals. They don't break down in the environment. And so, you know, we see these Teflon chemicals in, you know, in polar bears and seals, and they're in the bodies of, you know, virtually all Americans. Um, and so, that, you know, that's one of the problems that people just don't stop and think about. It's not just your direct use. It's the billions of pounds of these chemicals that get manufactured. And then because so much stuff these days is, um, you know, people don't think anything about, you know, throwing a frying pan out every two or three years and buying another one. Um, and all of that just ends up in landfill. And then we looked a lot at, at the whole issue of plastics and the fact that, you know, so much of uh, of our garbage these days is comprised of plastic and the recycling programs aren't working very well and we're actually producing which kind of blew me away double the amount of garbage per capita uh, uh, today than we were just 10 years ago so you know I would have thought with all the recycling programs and messages out there about you know reduce and reuse and all that 
we'd be going in the other direction, but um, but that's not the case. So it's a big it's a big looming issue, and I think uh, it's something we're going to have to put more attention to. Does anything come to mind in, in the political sphere if people were wanting to get engaged larger than their own personal uh, consumption and, and choices around what they're going to buy? Yeah, that's I think that's a really good point. You know, we we make the point in the book that that you know we're, it's important to act as a as a conscious consumer and buy products that um, are healthier and safer. But it, it's as important or more important for us to act as engaged and conscious citizens, which means we have to look at the politicians that we're electing and voting for and really be asking them the questions like, what are they doing about the fact that we've doubled you know, the trash consumption per person? What are they doing about the fact that we don't have proper regulations on these chemicals or transparency and uh, until we get governments to start shifting and paying more attention to these things and and realizing that there is a valid and important role for governments to do these things if we leave it all up to uh, to the private sector um, I'm afraid we won't get very far do you and Rick have a website you could point our listeners to uh, yeah our the website is Talks in, talks out. So t o x i n t o x o u t uh, dot c a, and uh, that'll have information for um, for people and also links to uh, to other sites. There's some great organizations like Environmental Working Group in Washington we work closely with that um, uh, has a lot of great information on this uh, this topic as well. Well, it's great having you on Health Watch today, Bruce. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate it. We're talking today to Bruce Lurie, the co-author of Toxin, Tox Out, Getting Harmful Chemicals Out of Our Bodies and Our World. You've been listening to Health Watch. I'm Dr. David Naiman, your host. Stay tuned for the rest of the Monday morning radio zine. Next up is Madness Radio.